0: So let's go ahead and bow as we continue in our worship together. Father, we thank you for your word, which we know is timeless and true. It's eternal. It speaks to everything that we need to know. That you are not silent when it comes to speaking to the sin that is in our world, but also to the truth, which you are. And Lord, I pray that that truth would transform our minds today, that you would cause us to stop and to think and to contemplate and to meditate upon your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, we're actually finishing a a small three-week series entitled Thinking Biblically About the Election. And just in order to bring everyone up to speed and just in case someone were to listen to this last message all by itself. I need to give a little bit of a review, which will be a very lightning fast. As you know, it took me two weeks to preach through it, and we won't be taking that kind of time today, but I think it lays the foundation for the five verses that are around uh, what Barry read this morning uh, in our call to worship. Uh, But as we uh, approach this important time in our country, I think it's important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to remember who we are, to remember that we belong to God first and foremost, but that we have a responsibility uh, as we have taken a look at the text in previous weeks that we are the only salt of the earth, uh, that we have the ability to deter decay with the, the truth of God uh, in a world that is fallen, to realize that God's word is living and active and it can accomplish things that man in his own power cannot But we also took a look at the fact that we are the only light in the world uh, and that God has given us the responsibility to reflect him to a dark world, to live out Christ in everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do so that the world knows who we are, to not hide our light under a bushel basket, but instead let it be a city on a hill. We also took a look at the fact that because of who we are in Christ, that, that we have the awesome privilege to be those who are called to be reconcilers, that we have a message of hope that the world needs, uh, a message that can transform even the most cold, hard, dead heart on this planet and make it alive, make it understand the truth, to have the freedom to no longer be a slave to sin. And so as those who are reconcilers, uh, we cannot reconcile if our light is not shining and if we are not salt. We need to see the importance of all three of those working together for God's glory and for good. We also took a look at the fact that God is sovereign over all, that there is not anything in this world that is operating independent of God. Matter of fact, God is the one who sustains all life. He is the one that uh, either through his uh, decretive will causes things to happen, or his permissive will where he allows things to happen. God is still involved in every aspect. It does not mean that he is the author of evil because he is not. Man is the one who is evil. Uh, God is light and purity and holiness. We also took a look at the fact that we are in a time such as this where we have an opportunity as believers in Jesus Christ to do something that, uh, even Paul saw the importance of, and that is for us to see the truth that we read about in Proverbs chapter 14, 34, which says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, and we have the opportunity to live out the righteousness that Christ has given us so that the world can see, so that the world can be challenged in its thinking, so that the world can see their sin as we now see our sin before a holy God. And one of the things that we have that the world needs is good, because man in and of himself, when he is a slave to sin, does no good. And I'm talking about good in relation to God, because we can take a look at mankind and say that person is a good individual. Well, when we use a standard less than the holy God of all, then yes, there are people in man's eyes that are good. But we have to remember that that's not the standard by which we are measured. Because if that was the case, then there was no reason for Jesus Christ to come. Because there are lots of good people, and I'll put good in quotes, in the world. It says uh, in Proverbs that, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. That's Proverbs 3.27. And it is something that we have something to give to the world. Not only the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, but we also have good as we are doing those good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, good works that can impact the culture for good. And the thing is, is we made the, established the fact that godly leaders equal a godly nation, uh, because those godly leaders will be an example; they will be like that light on the hill; they will be that salt. That doesn't mean that everyone in that nation is going to be godly, but that moral compass, that moral center, is going to have a profound effect on that culture, on that nation. Proverbs twenty eight twelve says, When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Because the thing is, wickedness is awful. Sin is awful. Man unrestrained is capable of heinous acts. And therefore, when that evil arises, yes, people will hide themselves. But we as believers in Jesus Christ should not hide ourselves because we have the very thing that can change people, a message of hope through Jesus Christ. And also the opposite, that an ungodly leader in control will have an ungodly effect upon a nation. And one of the last things we took a look at as we, we looked at this whole thing, realizing that Paul did not deny his Roman citizenship, instead he embraced it for the glory of God, uh, is how should we approach this? Uh, and this is where we were kind of wrapping up last time, and I said that there are no perfect candidates. We're not going to find a perfect political candidate. Even if he, that individual is a, a believer, they are still sinful, uh, but the thing is, is we're not electing someone as if they are the love of our life. What we are doing is realizing that we have good to impart to this country through living a moral and upright life, and therefore we should seek as American citizens to vote that way, to realize that we can have a profound effect as we vote in people that have some sorts of moral center. Doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that they're going to have every view or everything that we think personally should a candidate have. Uh, And the thing is, if if that's the case, it's kind of like looking for a church. You know what? You're never going to find a perfect church. You're going to have to, to realize that there are going to be times where the church is even going to fail. But by the grace of God, we can be overcomers. We can have an impact. We can be an example, even in. the the times when we fall short of the glory of God. We do have to look at the character of the candidate uh, to see whether or not they are a person that keeps their word. If they make promises, do they deliver on them? Sometimes promises take time, but sometimes we see that they, they change their mind. And they say one thing for one audience, and then when it's time, they say something different for another audience. And then when actually the rubber meets the road, it could be in the middle to one side or the other. Uh, We do need to look at their track record as well. What have they decided? What things have they voted which direction on to see, you know, what what are their values? Uh, What are the policies of that particular candidate? What do they hold to? Who do they surround themselves with? Because uh, as we know, you know, you cannot separate those whom you surround yourself with from what they're going to have as an impact on your life. You know, bad company corrupts morals. Uh, and the thing is, is, we need to understand as we t- take a, a look at one aspect last week is that it's not an all-or-nothing pursuit. We have, by the grace of God, has, have the ability to choose the very best candidate because we know that when we choose uh, someone who is uh, moral or has a moral conviction, that that is going to be better for the country at large, as opposed to uh, pretending that just because they aren't, all, you know, you know, on my checklist of every item that I would pick that somehow they fall short of my standard and therefore God can't use them to impact the culture. And so last time we finished with honesty, integrity, and morality, uh, realizing the importance of all three of those because our God is a God of truth, that he does not lie. And therefore, as we look at candidates, we should see that they be uh, men or women that keep their word. That brings us to today's feast, and it is a lot. And Lord willing, we will get through all of it. And the thing is, you have to understand that this is not a a complete list of things that I could have picked. I picked things that I see are issues in our country today, which in any culture, honesty, integrity, and morality are, are, are such. But as we take a look at our country as a whole, I think the number two thing that we should take a look at is the importance of working. Uh, God is the one who instituted work from the very beginning, himself being the example. You know, we know that God created for six days and he rested on the seventh. Is that because God was tired? No. God gave that to us as an example for us to follow, that we are to work, we are to use our hands, and then we are to rest, to give a day of honor to the Lord, which we are experiencing even right now as we are gathered together to worship him. We, we took a look at um, Genesis 2.15, as, as Barry read that this morning. The Lord uh, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to enjoy himself all of his days. No, it doesn't say that. It says he put him into the garden to work it and keep it. So God, even after creating and, and bringing everything into existence out of nothing, gave Adam something to do. Because God knows that it's important for us to not be idle for us to have something to do, uh, to work at, to keep. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 23, it says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk ends only in poverty. Uh, Proverbs 18, 9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. See, the thing is, is that we, we need to see the importance of work, to not be lazy, to not... Think that someone else owes us so that we can kick our feet up and enjoy uh, what life we think we should, are deserved or we should have. As a matter of fact, those are all Old Testament examples. Let's go to the New Testament because even as believers in Jesus Christ, there's a warning against laziness and idleness. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, For even when we were with you, We give you this command, okay? So this is a command that is coming from Paul uh, to the church at Thessalonica. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So in other words, it's important for even believers to make sure that if you are capable, if you are able to work, that you should not just expect to receive from everyone else. Instead, you're to work and you have the ability to earn a living, Verse 11 goes on to say, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. See, what happens is, is when we don't have something to do, when we don't have something productive to do because we see that, you know, God's providence as he gives us the ability to work and gives us jobs to be able to exercise uh, our our minds and our bodies and our abilities, uh, that we have a responsibility to also engage in that. Uh, to not let that lay aside, because the fact is, is that when given the opportunity, even within the the church, if people don't have something to do, something that they're doing to minister one to another, then they become idle, and then they can become busybodies, which means they get their they they put, poke their noses in where their noses don't belong, and can cause problems and dissensions, and even ending up at, at some point in a church split. Verse 12 goes on, Now such persons we command and encourage, how? In the Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So right here are uh, multiple examples, and this is not exhaustive, but we need to see that there is importance in working, that we should not expect someone else to pay our way. Now, that does not mean that there are those who are in need that cannot work. And I think that, honestly, that's not really the government's responsibility to take care of those individuals. Really, it's the church to take care of the needs of those who are genuinely in need and not those who would rather be idle and lazy and not work. That's number two. Number three brings us to the sanctity of life. And I know this is a volatile issue in our country today. Matter of fact, a lot of the debate... Uh, has been over recent weeks, even with the Supreme Court justice appointee, that this is something that is heated and very much at the forefront of a lot of the arguments. Uh, let me begin by saying that abortion is not a human right. And we may hide it or put it under the guise that it's a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. Well, that is man's philosophy or, or woman's philosophy, Uh, devoid of God. And the reason I say that is because I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you where does life begin? Does it begin at conception or is life even before that? Well, Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five says, now the word of the Lord came to me. And this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. He says, before I formed you, Uh, This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Well, wait a minute. How's that possible? So we're saying that uh, the prophet who would be named Jeremiah, that would be one who communicated the word of God, before God even formed him in his mother's womb, God knew him. So that means that he existed prior to his actual forming in the womb. It's because God knows all. And the thing is, is when man removes God from the picture, then yes, that life or lack thereof, depending upon how you perceive that, what's going on in a mother's womb is going to be affected by whether or not you believe that God exists and that God does know all, and that life actually begins as a biological thing of God weaving and forming in the womb Actually, even begins before that, because God knows us before he starts weaving us in our mother's womb. God knew me before January of 1969. Even before my mother was born. Even before my, my mom's mom was born. Going all the way back to the beginning of creation, God knew me. And he knew each one of you. God knew each one of us before he even created out of nothing. Because there's nothing that God does not know. Because God is eternal. And you can't think of God in in light of finite things. Samson, in the book of Judges, chapter 16, verse 17a, says, as he's sharing with Delilah, he says, As he told her all his heart, he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. See, he was set apart even in his mother's womb. So was Samson an actual individual? Was Samson an actual life? Yes, he was. Then you can go to the, the classic passage in Psalm chapter 139, where it says, For you formed my inward parts. Okay, this is not just a whole bunch of things just randomly coming together and over millions of years evolution has taken place and that's what happens as a result of a man and woman coming together. No, there's design there because it's God who is working. He is the one who formed intricately and and designed with order and with beauty each and every one of our inward parts. It says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb Okay, it's not God just throwing a whole bunch of stuff together and says, here you go, here's Bill Diggins. May look like that, but it's not the case. Psalm 139.16 says, For your eyes saw my unformed substance. That's because God knows us before he even knits us in our mother's womb. Because God knows us from eternity. And the thing is, if that is the case... And as we look at that from a biblical perspective, is abortion murder? Because it is taking of a life. And I'm here to tell you, biblically, yes, it is. Because that life is precious, because God is the one who knit it. God is the one who formed it. God is the one who knew each and every one of those millions of babies that have been aborted since Roe v. Wade was put into existence. They are real lives. Something that we don't talk about very much, but we actually have seven children. You know four of them. Because three of them, Michelle lost in miscarrying. Seth hung on because he was our, our, our miracle baby. Uh, and the fact is, is that we believe one day we're going to meet those children because they existed before time. They existed in eternity and God knew them. Because he began knitting them in Michelle's womb. So, yes, life is precious. And as you take a look at the candidate, do they see life that way? Or is it under the guise that it's a woman's right to choose? Because all that is a masking of the truth, not embracing the truth about life itself. Fourth, God's design for marriage Barry read Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, where it says, But from the beginning of creation God made them how male and female. Because remember, God knows each one before time. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. See, we need to understand and to see things from God's perspective. Because as we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw uh, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything that God created was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. And see, the thing is, that was God's original design, that he made them male and female, and that when a man and a woman come together, they come together in a blessed union that no man should ever separate because they become one flesh. And the thing is, sin has distorted God's design for marriage. And you may say, well, you know what, marriage is not really an uh, an item that people are speaking to, but as I build this, you're going to see why i 'm talking about the god 's design for marriage because when sin comes in and distort it, then guess what can happen god 's design is, is that he makes them male and female, and then that male and that female come together as one Romans chapter one starting in verse twenty one see sin has distorted god 's design it says for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And that's exactly what happens when sin plays a part, is that man does not see things as they are, does not see things through God's eyes. It says, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They don't know that they're fools because they're claiming to be wise, but God sees through the facade. Verse 23 says, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So instead of worshiping the creator, they worshiped the creation. Therefore, verse 24, this phrase is going to be repeated twice. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. See, nothing changes who God is because he is eternally existent. He is eternally holy and just and right. Verse 26 For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So the thing is, is, when we when man comes in and changes God's design, then it's contrary to nature. Because God designed men and women to have a desire one for another. And when that desire is distorted by sin, then this is what happens. They give up the natural order of things. It's actually a, a sin or something contrary to very nature itself. And it says, And the men, likewise, in verse 27, natural or gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. That causes you to stop for a moment. So what was the due penalty of their error? Well, if you look at our world, there are diseases that are rampant in our world. As a matter of fact, probably if we were to take a look, there's been more people that have died from HIV in this year already that have died from COVID because it is a direct result of the error of their way because they have exchanged the natural order for going after the passions of their sinful flesh. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, here we go again. And actually, I guess it's three times. I missed one. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. So man desired it so much, God gave it to him. And now mankind is suffering the consequences of their choices to uh, deny God's design for marriage, that he created them male and female, that he created them to come together as one flesh and never be separated. A former president said, you will see a time in which as a nation... Finally, recognize relationships between two men and two women as just as real and admirable as relationships between a man and a woman. That is what happens when sinful man looks and distorts God's design. Because, you know what? That former president is probably absolutely right. There is going to be a time, and we might even be there already. Because, as I said last time, you know, evil doesn't even hide anymore. It's celebrated. But see, that former president is ignoring the authority of Scripture. He ignores the God who is the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the one who has a design for marriage. He made himself sovereign over morality when he stated that the, that the nation will finally recognize that, the, that a relationship that was meant to be one man with one woman joined together and united and becoming one that we will see that beautiful picture that God has given a beautiful gift that God has given distorted when two men come together and two women come together. The reason I share this, and like I said, this is, is something that, you know, as you, you consider it, you're trying to think, well, where are you going with this pastor bill? Well, guess what? Corruption of God's design of creating them male and female and those two coming together as one flesh and not being separated leads to divorce. It leads to uh, sex outside marriage. It leads to homosexuality. It It leads to gender dysphoria because we don't see things as God created them. And when we take God out of things, this is exactly what happens. And so as you look at the candidates that you're looking to vote for, Where do they stand on these issues? Because if they are on the side that says that they are, you know, going to worship the creature rather than the creator, then that should be a pause for us and and a caution for us as well. Number five, the importance of law enforcement. And we've seen this exploding in our country and the thing I want you to understand is that our God is a God of order. And all you need to do is look outside right now and know God is a God of order. Because the season is changing. And nothing stops that. Because God's the one who is initiating it. He is, you know, letting this cycle of summer of 2020 come to a close. So that the, that fall of 2020 can show itself in vibrant colors. Reminding us of harvest and reminding us of being thankful to god for what we have because the ground has given everything that god has given and blessed us with to eat and to enjoy and to prepare for the winter that's coming and we know winter's coming because our god is a god of order in relation to worship we know our god is a god of order because in first corinthians fourteen thirty-three it says for god is not a god of confusion but of peace as a matter of fact, the verse that uh, Barry read: uh, Jesus holds everything together because He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So there is an order there. God does not just let everything go willy-nilly, uh, out of control. He is still sovereign over all. He is still the one who gives life. He is still the one that sustains everything, so that our planet doesn't go hurling out into the uh, to the the ends of the galaxy, because God's holding all of that together. But God is also a God of justice. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is the God whom we serve. He is a God of justice. And if you have any doubt, look to the cross. Because that's God's justice, so that you and I can experience new life in Christ. Micah 6, eight verse you probably have on a postcard or on a plaque somewhere. He has told you, oh man, what is good? Well, what's good? What does God require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So God is a God of order. He is a God of justice. And the thing we need to understand is that some people think that there can be a utopia here on earth. That, you know what, if if given the chance, man is good and man will do what is right. Well, guess what? That is man's view devoid of God. Our Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. See, that's the difference between seeing things through God's eyes and seeing things through man's eyes. Because man thinks that man is good. And therefore, if given enough time, if given the right circumstances, man can actually create a utopia. But you know what? Sin is lawlessness. Pure and simple. And the thing is, we need to understand is that those who enforce the law, even in our country, are God's servant for mankind's good. Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, because they're there to enforce the law. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Well, those who are good should, and we should obey those who are in authority above us, up to the point of them crossing the line to to, uh, command us and it be a law to do something contrary to the will of God. It says, then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is speaking of the one who is God's servant, who is actually enforcing good. Those who are in charge and authority, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See, God will use whoever to accomplish his purposes. He will do whatever is necessary. Jesus is an example of that because God sent his son, his one and only son, to die on a cross so that you and I could experience new life in Christ. And one last one, Uh, number six, support for the nation of Israel. We need to remember, as those who are students of the word of God, that the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. Deuteronomy 7, 6 tells us, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So they are special to God, the one who is almighty, the one to whom we all have to give an account Verse nine says, know, therefore, that the Lord, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We're not even a thousand generations away, but God keeps his word and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Barry read in Genesis chapter 12 as God called Abraham out and made it very clear that all the nations are blessed as a result of God choosing the nation of Israel. Because it says in verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the thing as believers in Jesus Christ, we understand too that it is through the Jews that salvation has come. It is through the Jewish nation, the one who is of the tribe and lineage of David, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, who came to offer himself. John four twenty-two says, You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. See, as a nation having the ability to, to uphold and to protect and to see the interest of the nation of Israel is something that we should do and every nation should do because with it comes a promise that all the, the nations of the earth will be blessed. He repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them and he is not slack with the one who hates. He will repay him to his face. See, we need to understand that it is best for us to uh, be friends with Israel as opposed to enemies. Because the fact is, is when we become enemies of Israel, we become enemies of God. Because God's not done with Israel. And the fact is, is that because of Israel's hardness of heart, every Gentile has been blessed because salvation is of the Jews. Because Jesus Christ is a Jew that he came to offer himself. And so as you look at all these things, as we think about You know, honesty, integrity, uh, and morality as we think about the importance of working, sanctity of life, God's design for marriage, the importance of law enforcement, and the support of the nation of Israel. And again, these are just hot topic items. There's more that we could go to. But the fact is, as those who are dual citizens, first and foremost to the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we honor God first and foremost. But the fact that we are still here that there is a church, tells me, biblically, that we have something to do. Because you know what? If if God was done, you know, guess what? The worship in heaven would be a whole lot better. Because it would be unhindered. I would not be worshiping with sin still capable in my heart. Because sin is no more. So if it would be better for me to be in heaven right now, and for the world to be in heaven of, of believers then guess what? That's where we would be. But the fact that we're still here, that there is a church, and that that we have a message of hope tells me that we have a responsibility to be that salt, that light, to be those reconcilers, because we have something that the world desperately needs. And this is a time and a place where we are, yes, in a season, and yes, we have an opportunity. And I think that every Christian should exercise their right as American citizens to vote. And to take a look at every candidate, whether they're male or female, whether they're running for the highest office in our country to local government, whatever it might be. And look at it through the lens of scripture and say, which one has the best example of you know making decisions and living their life in relation to what the Bible speaks to, which we know the Bible speaks to, to everything. And I've have given you some food for thought. So as you take a look at the candidates as you go to the voting box on November the third, take this artillery with you, but do your homework. Don't just vote one way or another because you've always been a Democrat, you've always been a Republican, or you're in the middle and you and you just, you know, roll the dice and decide. Okay? Uh yes, God does even control the lot. But we have a responsibility to be believers that are in the word of God and know what the word of God has to say to realize that when we vote in people that have Ideologies and things contrary to the word of God Then what can we expect them to do when they're in office? Exactly the thing that they're going to do And you know what? Yes, we do take a chance in voting someone into office that maybe says one thing and may end up doing another But guess what? Don't forget that our God is a God of justice and that he will set the record straight. And the thing is, is we're supposed to vote as as best we possibly can. But do so just like Paul, utilizing his Roman citizenship to gain a platform to be able to speak the truth about who Jesus Christ was, even to the Emperor Nero, because he was a Roman citizen. So guess what? This is our Emperor Nero. This is our opportunity as citizens of this great country to have an audience, because we have a vote. So utilize it for God's glory. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you uh, this morning for these truths. Lord, I know that some were hard to take in because culture has had a profound effect even in Christian circles. Lord, and it is difficult to, to look through the lens of holiness and purity Lord, I pray that you would help us to to see the importance of voting the very best that we possibly can, knowing that you are the one who raises up kings and takes kings down, as we have learned in previous weeks, because you are sovereign over all, that every king, no matter who they are, no matter how they are put into office, whether through a coup or through the voting of people, is still there by your permission, because you are sovereign over all. And Lord, I pray that you would just, in these coming days, Lord, as I know it is difficult uh, as far as politics are concerned, and Lord, I've I've never preached a sermon series like this before, but as I look at our country, and and I've I've stated in, in previous weeks that evil does not even hide anymore. We need to be that salt. We need to be that light, because when we hide, then what can we expect other than man to fulfill the sinful desires of his sinful flesh? Give us the boldness and the ability to be your witnesses throughout the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God that knew us even before time began? Please stand and join us And He Knows My Name.
1: We sing God Bless America. God God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies, to the ocean, white with home God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my